welcome to today's edition of the strategy podcast i'm your host rohit and today i have on the show mehak modi mehak is the chief of staff to the ceo at ather energy ather is a bangalore based startup which is focusing on building two wheelers two electric two wheelers which is uh, a growing market in india and it's amazing to listen to his insights on the impact that his job is creating for the company so tune in and listen thank you guys I'm Ahit and welcome to the Strategy Podcast. I am super excited to have you on this show. Uh, in this series, we are talking to chief of staff across uh, major tech startups in India and some of the leading companies in India and around the globe, and trying to figure out how this role plays a critical function uh, in an organization. Uh, it's you know, to my understanding and the research that I've done so far, it's a role almost second to the CEO or the executive team. So. Uh, probably involves a lot of heavy lifting uh, both from the side of the management and also from other team players uh, it's a cross functional role and you have to manage a lot of things at the same time so why don't we just start with uh, you know first question would be for me to ask you is uh, how did this all begin for you so why didn't you take us through your journey till now till becoming the chief of staff Okay, uh, my journey uh, is uh, probably an unconventional one, but uh, I Ather's uh, been around for six years. Um, we've uh, been making uh, so we we design electric vehicles, uh, and we've been in production for the last two years. But the first four years was all about you know uh, you know engineering the product and uh, taking it all the way to production. Uh, I joined uh, Ather e. a year and a half into its existence uh, and i joined as an engineer to design the design the frame uh and uh and that basically i i spent some time doing that for a couple of years and uh then when the product was ready and when the engineering was more or less done i kind of moved to uh, you know i kept asking the question hey what is the bottleneck to the company right like what is uh, the constraint what can we do uh, what is stopping the company from like you know rolling out Uh, vehicle after vehicle and started started to make a lot of money uh and basically at that time it was hey we we you know we've been engineering this for a very long time we still don't have a product uh, and this needs the uh, a product needs to be defined that we can actually sell and base uh, you know uh, and uh, and actually uh, you know make us as more common in the market out there so uh, the uh, so that led me to taking up a role as a uh, as a uh, product manager Uh, where we had defined the product etc etc now while i i i i was indirectly doing this role while i was doing engineering but like we officially transitioned away uh, transition a little bit later and uh, the product where while i was being product manager basically it became evident that a lot of our bottleneck or constraint was really uh, project management right like we would we were always like three months away from launching the vehicle for a good two years so uh, i started focusing there uh, and uh once you know that was a little bit uh under control uh moved to uh moved to a role where i was helping setting up the new factory that we were doing and things like that so at some point in time i just ended up having a conversation with the ceo saying that hey okay the role that i'm doing right now is definitely not that of a product manager because i was uh, at that time uh, setting up an erp in the plant uh and uh, we essentially usually concluded hey what i've been doing with these different um Different different roles and you know always addressing what is bottleneck of the company is typically a role of a chief of staff. Right? Uh, 
and this is a fairly new thing uh, even for uh, Tarun who is the CEO at that time. I think uh, the the idea comes from uh, Sachin Bhatsa where uh, Flipkart had uh, uh, similar roles uh, when they were growing. So, so I kind of literally walked into this role and I've been doing it uh, officially for the last two years. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I got to where I was. And it's interesting you're in the electric vehicle space. Uh, very new industry. Um, companies are still trying to get in terms to what this disruption is all about. Uh, what was your role prior to Aether? What were you, what were you doing and how did you you know, decide to make this jump into a, a whole new industry and take this big risk. In university, I was a guy who liked to build stuff. Um, one of the things that I did uh, during my years there was uh, to participate in something called a student, which is fairly common now, but in back in uh, 2000, uh, you know, seven, eight, it wasn't, I origin was. Uh, from there, I ended up uh, at a company called Altair, where I was designing, you know, software that helped other people design vehicles. Uh, and uh, from there, I went to, uh, and, and you know, while I was doing a lot of this virtually, I learned how to code and things like that. Uh, I ran into uh, some of the folks at Ether, uh, and uh, they were, it, it was fairly like, it was like a 15 people operation then. And they were like, hey, we're going to build like a, like a scooter and launch it, right? Mm-hmm. Electric scooter and launch it. And that was like super exciting. I'm like, so I basically at some point in time, I just like mentally dropped uh, like all the different things I was doing and then. Decided that hey, I want to focus on this one thing. Um, joined Ether fairly early, and mm. uh, like I said, initially designed, you know, joined as an engineer to design the chassis, and then just moved around to what was required. So uh, coming to your role, uh, if you can help us understand, what do you do? What's your like? What does a typical day of a chief of staff at Ather look like? And are you the only chief of staff there, or does everybody in the executive team have one? Typically, large organizations, everybody in the uh, executive has one. Uh, we think we're not large enough for that. So right now, it's only uh, the day-to-day is uh, different every day. It basically is defined by um, you know what is um, typically the most pressing thing that we're working on, or what is important. And uh, secondly, uh, you know uh, some. And when there is nothing pressing, what is the most, you know, urgent and, you know, uh, uh, not urgent, but important uh, stuff um, that is that has been pending for a very long time. Um, so I typically have a list of things that I have to get to. And uh, I basically pick off, uh, you know, prioritize uh, in, in the morning and start off. Hmm. Uh, and once a week, I will like basically send this list off uh, and basically just verify, hey, is, you know, are we in sync on priority? Uh, so you send this list to the CEO. As long as that is okay, right? Like our our communication can then only, uh, approximately once a week, right? Like, hey, these are the things I'm working on, and this is the order of priority, right? Like, so if uh, the thing on thing at the top catches fire, I will drop the thing at the bottom. So as long as we will sync on this list, and this system took a while to develop, right? Initially, we would do half the things orally, half the things like written down, uh, but eventually, like I myself get, started getting into a habit of. Uh, Basically, you know, it's a small bullet point which is sent over WhatsApp. Hey, are we in sync? Uh, uh, you know, uh, if there are changes, they happen. And uh, if they are not, uh, we at least know that we are directionally aligned uh, on execution. Hmm. My next question to you is, uh, Mehek, why did you decide to move from, because project management itself is a very exciting place, place to be in. Uh, what was the desire to jump from, uh, you know, that role again, uh, uh, right at the 
fulcrum of building the product again cross functional and uh, you know an interaction between the needs of the outside the, your customers and syncing your engineering team and your product team and everybody together to build the product and then moving into a role which is you know um, very different from that one so what was the driver for you to make this shift this probably the 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 nature of like the person i am i i typically get very impatient uh, when uh, you know i'm i'm not uh, uh, working on what is the most pressing thing to the organization right like and i discovered that fairly fairly early on which is why i ended up changing a lot of roles right i was never like a project manager at ether officially but the oh. reason i would again and again end up be doing doing you know project management is that like that is the thing that is stopping us right like that is the thing that is you know the uh, stopping us from scaling uh, dramatically uh, so uh, i kept asking myself the question what is the most pressing thing and when i joined it was engineering right like we didn't have a product uh, and it felt very much in sync after a while basically i discovered that um, uh, that you know once there is a team and we have set up a process for engineering etc it was it was it was not uh, it was still the most it was the coolest thing we were doing but it was not our bottleneck right um, and uh, my attraction towards like okay let me go try solve the bottleneck has always been there um, and the second thing that pushes me in this direction is i think also um, uh, a, a generalist tendency that i that i have right like i'm uh, i i don't think i've ever like deep dived into one particular space for more than like a couple of years which um, uh, and but i know a lot of things and because i i keep getting distracted by different things uh, once in a while i've developed a knowledge base through right so uh, like like for example when when required i learned a little bit of finance and now i'm like a guy who knows how to design a chassis and knows how to design uh, knows how to write a pnl and uh, you know so uh, i end up doing whatever is most important at that time so that's yeah. that's my trajectory at least never never planned never formal does this uh... Uh, you know, generalist tendencies of kind of learning everything a little bit, being a jack of all trades, help you uh, managing your role as so as a chief of staff because this involves almost every element of the business. Yeah, I think I think that is uh, it is it is it is really important, right? Uh, because as as a chief of staff, you will be interacting with uh, uh, all the other CXOs at at minimum, right? So that from uh, your your CHRO to the CFO to the CBO uh, and the CTO. so uh, to have a conversation with them and understand and you know bridge something i i need some basic understanding right i cannot expect uh, like if for example for to have a basic conversation cfo will need to explain to me every time what is you know compound interest uh, that conversation is not going to go very well right or it's going to be really slow somebody is going to get frustrated so uh, just to get to the basic uh, level of Uh, information in different fields is definitely of very high value uh, in this role and it's something that i have consciously i think uh, uh, learned and learned and developed uh, but it, and it's primarily so that i can have conversations that are meaningful with uh, the different stakeholders that i have hmm moving beyond the technical aspects for the role what do you think uh, from a character trait perspective the soft skills uh, that one should have to be great at this work um so from from a uh, character wise let me let me think for a second right I, actually I, i i see my role as the the perfect example that i can give is uh, uh, you know a, a, a good chief of staff will be also a good uh, good mafia player because uh, they can have conversations with themselves like hey okay 
you know, I will say this, the other person will say that and, you know, uh, anticipate that and kind of, uh, you know, be ahead of, uh, ahead of the conversation just to, just to save time and get to decisions faster. But really, uh, I think uh, 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 a chief staff cannot be firstly too, uh, cannot get too attached to a specific thing because you typically work on like, you know, multiple projects and you will be handing over most of them, right? Typically, you will you will start something, either recruit somebody, and then you know give that person give, give that person to somebody else, or uh, you know temporarily help a CXO with bandwidth or something like that. So, a lot of the stuff that I do, process that I do, are, are short term. They work for me, and I typically hand it over. If I get too attached, it uh, the, it becomes a problem, and I've heard learned, learned this the hard way, right? Like if I create a process, I think it's right, and then I hand it over to somebody else, and they change it. I'm like, no, 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 that's not going to work. But I have to get over that and respect the people I'm handing over to uh, and mm. understand that they know the problem better because they're specialists. Which, which brings me to the question of disagreements. In this role, uh, because there are so many people involved and you might have to sometimes push for a cause, there could be disagreements or uh, problems coming in the team when it comes to communicating ideas with each other. And you're at the center of this. How do you manage these disagreements with, uh, with either your seniors or with other members in the team? So, uh, at least uh, the, the organization that I worked at have, uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to uh, work with uh, people who are, uh, who, who, who are smart and really know what, uh, you know, uh, the depths of the fields that they specialize in, right? Uh, so, typically, when there is a situation where uh, a bunch of CXOs or, or even anybody with, that I'm, I'm working with have a disagreement, it's typically because they see the world differently or, um, you know, uh, their their fundamental perspective is is different, right? Otherwise, looking at the same data, they will come to the same conclusion. So my process for this is actually quite uh, uh, quite simple, but it took took some while for me to get used to it. Mm. Uh, is to basically just have a individual conversations first with the guys guys involved, just try and understand the perspective, why they are pushing for what they are doing. I will simply like draw a table for myself. Uh, I'll typically do this mentally, uh, where I basically distinguish facts and opinions. So. Uh, these are the facts uh, that this guy knows, uh, and uh, these are you know the opinions layered on top of the facts, right? Uh, and have this conversation with all the people involved. Now, the most important thing I want to ensure is that everybody has access to the same facts, right? Uh, because if they have reached different conclusions because of different facts, it's just a really easy problem to solve. The CEO doesn't need to get involved. It's just really easy. You tell them each of the same facts, they reach the same conclusion and move on. It, it is surprising the number of times this happens. Uh, and, uh, you know, that just dramatically reduces escalation within the organization. Uh, if the facts are exactly the same and then it is layered by opinion, um, then we, uh, then it is time for me to like kind of inject from a neutral side, like what, you know, uh, what is the right direction when we recall the values of the company, uh, when we recall the vision statement of the company, uh, and things like that, right? Like, and if, if that kind of leads to an answer, uh, and a lot of times it typically does, it basically also resolves the problem. Uh, in the rare situation where, okay, you know what, like this is now fundamentally like, a, you know, uh, somebody thinks that, uh, you know, uh, A is the right interpretation of data and somebody thinks B is the right interpretation of data. Uh, in, in those situations, I'll pull the CEO in to basically shed some light into what uh, his or her opinion is right, on, on that. Uh, that is typically my uh, method uh, that I find most effective uh, to uh, work with disagreements, but then every situation is uh, different on its own. Right. Tell me, uh, Mehek, if you have to choose a replacement for yourself and you're interviewing candidates, 
uh, what I want to understand is what would you like to look for in their resume that make that makes them stand out because I see a lot of startups today, especially tech startups in Bangalore, they're uh, looking to hire uh, chief of staffs and uh, they're looking for people who are not coming with a lot of experience, right? Maybe one or two years of experience. So how do you evaluate somebody? You know, what would you like to, uh, what, what would you like them to tell you about them that helps you make that decision? So I, I'm, I'm personally not a big fan of like, like CVs as a major way of recruiting, right? I have, so if I were to, if I, if I was like looking at the replacement for myself, I would typically uh, get the word out and try and look for uh, recommendations, right? Because a, a primary thing, the most important thing that the chief of staff requires is to secure trust uh, with the CEO and all the other CXOs and all the other people that they work with, right? Uh, the, the chief of staff uh, by, by the org structure, doesn't really have like a large number of people reporting to the to that person at, like or uh, to me, and uh, my uh, influence or ability to influence uh, things in the organization comes from the fact that other people trust me and trust my decision making, right? Or trust my ability to uh, you know communicate between between people. Uh, and the it's very hard to find an indicator of trust in a CV. Uh, but a very strong indicator of, uh, of trust would be uh, a recommendation, right? Mm. So I would typically go through uh, that route. Uh, and that is my, my personal preferred route of recruiting either ways. Uh, however, if you have to search for, for a C uh, in, um, uh, through a bunch of CVs, um, I'm essentially looking for uh, three criteria, right? Like one, um, there is some decision of being involved in situations where there is decision making with not all the data available. Right, okay. uh, and the all the data available is important because, uh, like, like typically, especially guys with engineering background and me myself are not comfortable making decisions without data, right? And a lot of times you have to. So exposure to that is important. Uh, secondly, uh, generalist tendencies, which is, uh, is a very general statement, but like you, you obviously do not want a PhD coming in and working and becoming a chief of staff. That's a, that's not probably a you know good ending there. And and lastly. Um, uh, you know, uh, from from a CV perspective, I would look for uh, I would look for uh, you know uh, their their history or where they worked at or the people they've interacted with, and see if I can get a recommendation from there. Right? So I see if we have a common network and I can pull from there. So that that is how I would approach uh, if you are from a CV perspective, how to look for uh, my own replacement if I have. Mm, interesting. And what else? You know, what kind of advice would you like to give to somebody? You know, still in college, maybe fourth year and looking to uh, get into this kind of a role. How do, how do you think he should plan out his career um, in a way that he lands up, you know, in a decision-making role like that, where he gets to work straight with, uh, with the senior team and uh, has that, you know, taste of leadership early on in his career, if he aspires to have one? So I, I genuinely think that there is no planned way to get to this role, right? Uh, for two reasons. One. Um, what is demanded of this role is different in different situations. Uh, it, and, and, and secondly, uh, it is not the skill set that you have uh, developed in your university or a course uh, that somebody is looking at or uh, the recruiter is looking at to uh, basically uh, you know, give this position. This, this position uh, has a large experience chunk in it. Uh, and also has, uh, I, I think, uh, internally uh, growing internally into this role is a 
is a better place to be right because it it also gives you a dual perspective like i like i know that i was an engineer at some point or as a product manager at some point and i can understand how the current product manager or the engineering team is thinking when i am interacting with interacting with these guys so uh, i unfortunately do not think that there is a you know planned way to do this hmm. however if this is something that uh, does attract you what 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 i would what i would recommend is to do uh, to to basically just do a variety of roles in a relatively small company uh, a, a very early on right uh, and what i a, a very early stage companies would love to have people who, who are who are basically like hey see i i am recruiting you because you are you, you are smart and you know i don't know what we will have to do over the next one year for the company to sustain right a lot of like early stage companies are like that and if somebody is able to do this really really well they are they are basically setting themselves up to be a chief of staff in a even a larger organization right i think that experience is really really important because it it basically you develop the ability to hold a lot of information in your head at the same time and uh, you know uh, look for clarity uh, in times of chaos interesting uh, which brings me to the next question on uh, you know degrees I, I, and i see today even large companies are uh, not so much in india but in the west uh, looking beyond your four year degree programs to find the right talent and now today because education is so ubiquitously available thanks to internet and edtech uh, slowly the relevance of you know going through an mba program maybe is 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 giving you a diminishing return so in this scenario do you think and you know as i've been going through a lot of profiles of people who are chief of staffs i see almost all of them having an mba from a top tier institute what do you think you know tomorrow for these roles or for other roles in uh, in management do you think they would still hold relevance especially from a cos perspective so Uh, do, so do i think we need um, an mba for cs i will obviously say no because i don't have one um, but uh, the uh, but from uh, when i'm more, more serious not uh, you will see a lot of uh, mba uh, grad, grads in uh, in these roles because uh, doing an mba is an indicator of uh, someone who is a, a generalist and b uh, yeah. you know uh, comfortable in decision making environment right which is why you will see a large overlap uh, that is uh there is not uh, which is not surprising to me uh, the uh, but however in the uh, in the modern world i would personally not encourage a lot of people to basically say hey i want to become chief of staff hence i must do an mba uh, the mba i think has a lot of value but it has it has different value compared to uh, what it was like 10 to 15 years ago right in 15 years ago a lot of people did mba to basically have the ability to apply for certain jobs right? Right. i think most recruiters today um Uh, do not take the degree very very seriously uh, like at, at least we uh, at least i don't and i know a lot of people at ethel don't uh, and that is primarily because uh, a lot of experience shapes you and a lot of the formal education is is literally available online right and it's the type of um, uh, situations that you have uh, uh, that you've been in and problems you've solved in the past that actually uh, matters so the mba will add value because you know it's kind of a crash course on a lot of you know uh you know you will know finance 101 you will know uh, product management 101 etc etc so right. uh, you will have a lot of perspective that will be useful you will have a good network which would be useful uh but uh, it is I, i don't think it is a must uh, and uh, what you would need on top of that is just um, uh, you know uh, 
have the ability to gain gain trust across you know multiple uh, with multiple people and that is something that does not all, that comes with experience does not always come from a hmm. now i know uh, this role is very different for as you move from the life cycle of the company you know in an early stage company versus a large company the role is very very different in terms of what is demanded from it but especially in early stage companies who have advertised for these roles today on linkedin i see uh, almost consistently they ask you to either have a background in management consulting you know or, or venture capital what's your take on this so i so again so if i if if me as a company i am recruiting somebody i think those are the right places to look for right uh, if you're looking for people again with you know some decision making background uh, they are typically generalists and uh, have the ability to work with a lot of people right Are are typically the guys who are in in investment banking, they're in VCs, uh, uh, in in general, right? So I don't think. So I think I I, I see why uh, you know uh, that is that is the place where people uh, people look, and I think it's a good uh, for somebody who has been in management consulting for a very long time, uh, or been at VCs for a very long time. It is a good idea to uh, have. Uh, it it is a you know it is good way to move from one side of the table to the other side of the table. Uh, secondly uh, especially in the early stage i think uh, there is a lot of value in having uh, uh, having you know vcs on because the ceo is spending a large portion of uh, his or her time on uh, raising money right because that's their primary focus and having vc background there really really helps oh. now in typical late stage right uh, the fundraising is only a small part of what what the ceo does uh, the uh, the ceo has you know is a, responsible for setting obviously the vision of the company uh, making sure that you know the operations are steered or the execution is steered in the right direction etc and the internal roles of the ceo keep growing especially as the organization size grows because uh, you know when your organization 10 people it's very easy to co- communicate now uh, when the organization is like 500 people it's a very different situation uh, so the ceo has to time spend more and more time with communication and things like that and that's where it is my role has been uh, Uh, so far right so a lot of internal management on behalf of uh, the ceo so that uh, ceo has some clear time to basically uh, you know solve like not not solve problem but like to focus on you know long term strategy and vision and things like that. okay i so, will come back to your role and ask you um, you know what's what has been the most rewarding uh, element of of being a chief of staff for you uh, for me personally the most um m- most rewarding thing is that i think um i truly understand the business uh, after uh, you know after i have taken up this role uh, before i take up this role i would always have like a narrow perspective uh, i would always have either an engineer's perspective or a product manager's perspective uh, you know or uh, or even like uh, uh, or a, you know somebody working at the plant's perspective uh the uh, this role basically gave me a very clear perspective in give me a lot of understanding of why a lot of the decisions that i was upset by before were made and why they make sense and they're the most logical thing to right uh so i think uh, this role apart from the founders of the company i think the highest uh, exposure to understanding the business comes into this role uh and uh, that kind of uh, is uh, you know I, i at least find it personally very rewarding uh also the you know level of access to go you know information and you know strategy is very very clear um and uh, which which kind of makes it you know uh, ma- makes this a, one of the hard one of the harder problems to um, to solve right like you 
Uh, your constraints are defined by external boundaries, not by internal. True, true. I, I, I very much resonate with that thought because you know back when I was a management consultant, many times I had to do things which my partner would tell me, and at that point in time, it used to sound very illogical to me. But when I turned an entrepreneur, you know, and I can resonate with you here that many times you don't have that full picture, the you know the big picture of why you're doing something. As you move on the other side of the table, it's it becomes more and more clear as to why you're doing certain activities um, in your job, which is very interesting. Yeah, and I think I, I think that is really important, right? Because I I, yeah. I I think actually every like like entrepreneur should like actually spend some time thinking about it, right? Like imagine if you could get your entire organization to basically understand the situation or the external constraint. I think everybody will work really well together. It's just a very hard thing to do, uh, yeah. and I think that is. Uh, that that is something that a good chief of staff should like, strive to achieve. It, if you think about it, and all the you know legacy companies which are now trying to adapt digital technologies and become digitally transformed, one of the major challenges for them continuously, if you you know if you read through any of the McKinsey articles, it it consistently comes down to the culture of the company. And the CEOs say, "I am not able to communicate the vision." And in any checklist that you see of digital transformation that these consultants are trying to tell them, it all goes down to first thing you need to do is communicate the entire model, new operating model, digitally driven operating model to your people. And they are finding it so difficult because the you know old matrix style functional structures are no longer working. It's all about being cross-functional. It's, it's all about being kind of working left and right on uh, problems together. And that's something which is very difficult for it doesn't come naturally for them. What's yeah, and I, I think I think it's a it's a problem that is uh, is still not solved, right? Uh, no. I think uh, when when it's it's an easy thing to do when you're twenty people company, but once you right. grow, I think above a hundred, uh, it is really uh, hard for basically the CEO to say that hey, here is the vision. Spend like six months communicating it, and you know next six months executing it. Basically, that also means that hey, your method of execution on the vision should yeah. not change for one year. Which is which is insane in today's world, right? Like you, like like we obviously seen COVID, but even before COVID, right? You there is no way to have a, a constant business plan for for a good year, right? right. Uh, so basically, what you need is to basically be able to um, uh, uh, communicate, even in the micro decisions, why this is being done and why why are we aligned, right? Like uh, or, or sorry, why is this being done and why are we making this decision in, in such a way? Right. Uh, because from typically from a CEO's perspective, it is the right decision to make. But by the time it gets to somebody, uh, you know, uh, three levels down, uh, like firstly three months have passed and like the situation changed, and you know they have spent three months in the unknown, being affected by the situation, and that uh, that is that is certainly a problem. Right? Like so, uh, to solve for that, a you need culture, b you need an org structure that is able to uh, communicate really really rapidly in the right way. With right. Tell me about, uh, you know, we spoke a lot about how a person has to be and the skills that he needs to possess um, and deliver for this role. But who should not apply for this role? What kind of individuals um, and, you know, and the kind of people who should, you know, clearly avoid being uh, in this role? So, uh, I think uh, two types of people definitely should not be in role. One is people who aspire to be specialists in the long run. Because uh, this will uh, this will take you typically away from it, right? 
um, so if today's most pressing problem is finance, you'll be working in finance. Tomorrow's most pressing problem is, uh, say, product, you'll be working in product. Right? And tomorrow, again, if you have to do sales and you have to figure out what's going on in sales, you do that. So I don't think um, uh, if, you know, if your intention in the long term is to be CTO of the company, uh, the chief of staff to a CEO is not the best part to do it. Right? Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, so that is, uh, that is the one type of person. Uh, the second uh, type I was alluding to is uh, basically uh, uh, there is there is a requirement to basically uh, uh, separate uh, you know your intentions and your opinions from what is from the information you're passing around. Right, uh, you are a critical linchpin between the CEO and the rest of the organization, uh, and information coming through you has to be clean. Right? If you have your own opinion, you're you're very well uh, you know. Uh, I, I state my opinion a lot of times, but call it out as my opinion. Right? Mm. Like, hey, here is the data, and here's my, here's my. If you imagine that um, a chief of staff is a role where you have a lot of influence over the CEO because you get to talk to him a lot, uh, you will eventually lose trust and lose your job. Right. So that is uh, so. So the intent of being chief of staff, if it is to influence decisions in the uh, anywhere in the in the organization. Uh, that is a problem, and even if the CEO is looking for a chief of staff to influence him, that is also a problem. So, uh, I think uh, uh, that intent is the incorrect one. If you want to do that, got it, got it. My next question to you, uh, Mahek, is around uh, uh, career progression. So, you know, you you tell me if you want to be a specialist, a CTO or a CFO, probably this is not the right thing for you to do. So, what can somebody who is entering this role? You know, if he wants to kind of visualize his career 10 years down the line, what could he possibly aspire to be in the organization? Yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah, like, unfortunately, fortunately, the uh, only promotion available to you is CEO. Uh, the, uh, so, uh, it, uh, how, however, uh, I think there is a legit path where, um, Eventually, uh, like you know, within this role, you decide to, at some point, you you know, mentally decide to uh, specialize in a very narrow narrow area and try and move towards that role, right? If that oh. that is something that that interests you within the same organization. Uh, typically, another way to uh, you know to grow in the long term is that as companies grow, and especially if you're a growing company, uh, this company is going to have uh, be broken into like either there'll be subsidiaries, there'll be uh, you know, uh, there'll be individual PNLs that people maintain. Um, uh, most companies have smaller companies within them. Uh, so uh, you you are a very likely candidate to lead one of these, right? Like, so if if like Google becomes an alphabet and alphabet is now like 20 companies, you're very likely to be a CEO of one of those 20 companies. Uh, and that is your typical um, career progression um, in this way. But again, I don't think this is, like I said, this role typically doesn't have a timed career progression. Uh, like uh, like in many other roles, especially in uh, in corporate settings, where basically oh, every two years or four years you're new promotion. Keep moving from one one role to the next. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't think um, that's they, not the kind of role, progress that yeah, you're seeing this role. Has that? It it's more opportunity driven. Interesting. My last question to you, uh, Mac, is on the EV and the automotive sector. Now we've seen uh, COVID absolutely destroying this sector in the last uh, six months. Um, Legacy companies are clearly struggling, uh, but then again, you know, there was the Tesla story and they became the most valuable company in the last six months, which was again, amazing. Where do you see the future of uh, EV, especially in India? And uh, uh, 
when do you think the industry would you know move out of the impact that covid has had on it so um like firstly i strongly believe that um, like covid's been around for for uh, for let's say 6 months and uh, let's say it's going to be around for another 6 months right like another 6 months we're going to live so that's one year one year in the large scheme of like building companies is nothing right like tesla has also had a year where everything seemed miserable right, right? like like basically oh, there seemed like no future there seemed like um, you know nothing's going to move on especially in the early road stages so uh, I think zoomed out. Uh, this is this is this is a big blip, but it is a blip in mm. the trajectory of uh, uh, most companies. Um, the uh, now the automotive and EV space in particular, I think, um, fortunately for us, is is something we believe that you know as things unlock is the first thing that's going to uh, going to pick up because uh, simply because people will want to move and they will be a little bit scared of uh, public transport. uh and in in india uh, two wheelers are the most likely uh, way people are going and we are already seeing that right we are already seeing uh, from like hero splendors and royal enfield both uh, returning to pre almost pre covid levels of sales yeah. uh what's also going well is that we've had a good monsoon this year so rural spending is high and rural is less affected by covid uh, and you know two wheelers are bought everywhere so i think the automotive uh, sector will be a sector that um, will recover relatively faster compared to a lot of other luxury products um but having said that there is a definite impact right like uh, there is a definite impact in the way we work uh, we we've had timeline hits our supply chains been shaken up mm. massively uh, and i think that makes us uh, a little bit uh, robust for the long run right like uh, we are going to think twice before doing minor optimizations in supply chains um, uh, and prepare ourselves for more you know higher level disruptions but i think uh, that Uh, 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 i still think uh, you know covid is a one year blip one uh, a fairly upward trajectory for ev right. yeah. uh, ev and automotive india awesome mahak uh, and i would like to thank you on this note for being a part of the show you shared some amazing insights which would be valuable for people aspiring for this role um, and you know things that they need to kind of think about if uh, they are looking to explore the role of the chief of staff So thank you thanks a lot Really it was a pleasure talking to you